Pre-season is over and the Premier League has moved a step closer on a slightly concerning note for Norwich City after losing 3-0 at Newcastle in their final friendly game. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell coming to you as ever on Future Radio 107.8 FM. Whether you're listening to us on our audio feed or watching us on the Pink and YouTube channel, thanks very much for joining us and do remember to subscribe as well. Uh, boys, how are we doing? Are we both recovered from our weekend in the northeast i think connor i should i should probably come to you first really because uh you've had uh had an interesting weekend really haven't you we uh, we had to do things a little bit differently after we only got two passes for uh, for a still socially distanced uh press box so uh <laughs> let the listeners know what you've been up to <laughs> yeah well uh we, we managed to sneak me in didn't we into the home end so i was i was sat with uh quite a quite a few Newcastle fans in the in the Melbourne stand, I think it is, um, just kind of two blocks along from the press box. I wasn't a million miles away, but um, yeah, slightly different perspective to to what to what we'd usually have. And uh, it's I, it's always fascinating, I think, when you sit in with the fans and obviously you hear comments not just on Newcastle, but maybe perceptions on Norwich as well. So so that's all quite interesting. Um, but yeah, we managed. To, I, I didn't get detected, so that was good. Uh, largely because of a, a very poor Wi-Fi and, and a mobile data situation, which essentially meant I, I pro- really, well really couldn't do anything. I was, I was struggling to get anything done, as, as were you boys, really. So it was um, it was tough conditions, but we we made it work and we got everything through. Um, it was just a shame about the the result, yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was a, it was an interesting perspective. I'd, I'd, I'd say that. I don't really know how we managed to get it done, Pad, but we we did somehow still get the pointers and report and stuff filed. But the Wi-Fi was atrocious for a Premier League club, wasn't it? And we could barely get on 4G. So it was quite a surreal experience, all bouncing between different internet sources, desperately trying to do stuff. But we realised within a few minutes of the game starting that um, Radio Norfolk weren't doing commentary. We already knew there wasn't a live feed. So people were basically relying on our live blog to find out what was going on with, with the Norwich game around the world. So we quickly had a readjustment, didn't we? I took over <laughs> over the live blog and, and we ploughed through. But yeah, it was a, a bit of a challenging day, wasn't it? I know, don't shoot a messenger, but it, it was shocking connection problems. So it wasn't the service, let me be honest, that we were trying to offer. We we would have tried to offer as a comprehensive service as we always do. But uh, yeah, no, my head my head was fried by about 20 minutes in. <laughs> I've literally spent an hour. So the game kicked off at two. So from about, well, it was earlier than that because I wasn't able to, Kieran Scott, which we'll get into the confirmation of his pending move to Middlesbrough. I think they pushed it out at 12. At which point I was just in, we just arrived. I was just in the press room at Newcastle, and from twelve to two twenty, twenty minutes into the game, could not get anything online. Been onto our IT department about twenty minutes, but fundamentally, I think the issues with the Newcastle end. Although I do have a very poorly laptop, which is in serious danger of being dismantled by a sledgehammer. So I'm going to have to uh, one of my early tasks this coming week. Probably get that to get an MOTR with our IT. But if there are, this is a this is a personal appeal on my behalf. If there's anybody out there who uh, knows what they're doing with uh, IT and uh, particularly issues of trying to connect to networks, and it it, it just comes up with uh, no internet secured. So um, I don't quite believe we're going down this tangent on a football podcast. But you know, if there is anybody out there, then by all by all measure and means DM. And uh, if you know the solution to that, because um, not castigating our IT people, but I've had about two or three con- uh, calls with these characters in the last 12 months and I'm still having the same issues. So, <laughs> yeah, for, first world problems for us media types. But uh, all in all, um, it really set the tone 
for the what was the con uh, <laughs> performance uh, which was very patchy a bit like the wi-fi connection so didn't enjoy it and not looking forward to going back there in i think we just dis- we discovered it's early december midweek as well so god knows we'll have to use carrier pigeon that night i think by hook or by crook, we got the job done. We're smiling about it now. I'm, I don't think we were quite as much as we crawled up the A11 in the dark last night after a long day, which had started with a kit reveal at 9am and things like that. But it, it's all fun and games, isn't it? It's all part of the, of the away days. And and we saw there was a nice sight, actually, when we stopped for a bit of grub on the way home, wasn't there? We saw some, uh, was it Portsmouth fans? And uh, there, there were away fans at a service station, which used to just be a common sight, wasn't it? So, oh, Portsmouth, I wonder where they've been playing. And then you're, you're having a look at the fixtures and things like that, aren't you? And it was great just to be in the car and and, and hearing all the results pouring through. But there were 20,000 at St. James's. And, and Connor, as you say, you were in that home end. And, you know, we were lucky enough to have 10,000 at Carrow Tuesday night. Hopefully we've got something really to look forward to with the Liverpool game on Saturday with presumably a big crowd, maybe not a completely full house at Carrow Road. We shall see. But that was quite the roar from from the Newcastle fans, wasn't it? And, and probably even more so at half-time when they saw a certain Alan St. Maximan come out with his uh, training gear taken off and, and ready to play. Yeah, it was it was quite something, really. I think as soon as the half-time whistle went, pretty much all of the conversations around me surrounded that man and whether he was coming onto the pitch and how excited they were to see him back. I think he's he's had some COVID-related issues, hasn't he, that kept him out. Um, and there's obviously been some speculation around his future as well. But you, you can see why when he steps onto the pitch. He's, he's just one of those players that gets people off their seats and gets people excited. And certainly in terms of their performance, he, he dragged it up a level, didn't he? So... Um, yeah, that that was that, it. Was just really, it was just a really interesting perspective. I did I did a similar thing uh, a couple of years ago when Norwich played West Ham and um, uh, when they lost two 0 But it could have been could have been a lot more than that, to be honest. Um, before I obviously took this job, and uh, it, it was just it was just interesting to hear little comments around Norwich players and stuff like that, and, and little opinions that maybe you wouldn't necessarily get elsewhere. And uh, I didn't I didn't hear anything particularly sort of revelationary about Norwich. To be honest, it was mostly around Newcastle, but. It's a club that doesn't really have a lot of optimism at the moment. I think that's fair to say. But he, he just seemed to drag everything up positively. Um, and I think he does with the team as well. Every time he takes the ball and gets on a run, it, it gets the crowd excited. It put Norwich on the back foot. And, uh, you know, there's your welcome to the Premier League because it seems like, or certainly did two years ago, every every team in this division has a player like that who has the quality to win football matches. And and he is one of those. And um, yeah, as soon as he entered the pitch, I think it, it spelled bad news for, for Norwich. It, it gave the crowd a lift and um, it probably um, left them a little bit open and, and exposed at times in what was a, a depleted squad, wasn't it, for COVID issues. So um, yeah, it's it, it was in many ways great to hear the roar and great to hear goals celebrated. But um, from a Norwich perspective, it, it, it probably wasn't. But um, yeah, as, as a whole, like you say, even listening on the radio and hearing a goal go in and then some crowd noise, it was it was exceptionally um, exceptionally welcome. So uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was it was just a shame that the Norwich couldn't really get to grips or didn't have enough in the tank to kind of replicate their first half performance, which, although not perfect, was probably relatively encouraging against a, a team that's been in the Premier League for a few seasons. Yeah, he was exceptional when he came on. I, to, there's there's plenty of context which we'll get into in terms of Norwich being pretty tired and not having any subs to turn to really and things like that. But St Maximan, I, I think it's probably fair to say that if he could keep his fitness, that guy could probably be worth 100 million. He could be playing at a top club. I thought he was, well, it was it was a pleasure to, to see him play really. Just shackles off, went for it and he, he tied Norwich in, 
in knots, unfortunately. Um, we'll come back round to transfer stuff a bit later in the pod. Um, I'm sure most of you already heard a lot about Christos Jolis uh, and Josh Sargent, who we have uh, already done quite a bit about, window watch on Friday and things like that. We'll come back to them. We'll also come back to Kieran Scott's exit to, to Middlesbrough as well. But if we focus on, on this game to, to kick off with, Pad, um, the the shape, Daniel sort of matched up Newcastle, didn't he? He went with what ended up being a bit of a, a 3-4-2-1. Um, Bamadeli played 90 minutes again, so he's played literally every minute of pre-season. He's the the only player uh, to have done that. But, but yeah, the big context behind this game really was that Newcastle could make 10 substitutions, including... Dwight Gale, St. Maximan, Jamal Lewis, and plenty more. And Norwich had six subs, which included Angus Gunn and two Academy players. And therein lies the yeah, lies what they're, they're dealing with, not just yesterday, but moving forward with massive asterisks. You know, there was six six of the lads uh, affected, not directly in all cases, but either side self-isolating as close contacts or because they've had it with COVID. So there's six players you drop back into the mix. The two uh, you mentioned, new signings, barring very, very late hitches now, those two are added to the mix and and they still want a twist again between now and the end of the window. So right here, right now, you look at, I mean, the team sheet was the giveaway where there was, you know, <laughs> a major differential in the subsection. You might have it to hand, DF, uh, which will work yeah. for our, vis- our visual viewers rather than our audio listeners, but uh, it graphically illustrated what Norwich were up against yesterday. So... That's why I don't think anybody need. There we go, boys. You don't need to go overboard. Overboard, sorry, with with interpreting certainly the result or even the second half because, as Daniel himself said, um, the ten who started outfield players yesterday were the only ten fit players he had. Um, Pookie was on the bench, but he self isolated up until Friday. And Daniel then added that you know in that period of confinement, he's he's actually lost a little bit of muscle mass and because he's not been able to train or train properly. Um, so he wasn't by any man- manner of means fit. Kenny McLean was also on the bench, but Daniel said not only the 12-week layoff he had with his knee issue, but uh, the last week or so, probably with returning back to training and stepping up his intensity, he's had lower back issues as well, so he wasn't fit. Jacob Sorensen, interestingly, was one of, along with Angus Gunn, who that first wave of COVID-affected absences that those those two if you remember Mr Huddersfield behind closed doors game well Daniel added yesterday for the first time that of all those players who have been uh, impacted by COVID that Jacob symptoms wise has been the most hardest hit so he's obviously still coming coming back to to a level of football fitness if you want so they're not excuses or mitigation really that is just the facts of the situation so you know, I find it quite depressing, really, that we're recording this on Sunday morning. And uh, my first sort of glances at social media today were pretty much universally, you know, we're doomed, we're doomed et al. kind of thing off the back of what they people have, have consumed at Newcastle, which I just, I just don't see it because how can you possibly judge what Norwich are going to do in the Premier League? Based on, as Daniel said, would have been would have been quite a miracle to get anything from that game yesterday, because Newcastle conversely are able to bring on big hitters, Sam Maximan, Jamal Lewis, Dwight Gale, um, and they're playing their only preseason game at St James's in front of you know twenty thousand fans. That's probably the biggest crowd they've played in at any point since the pandemic. So, you know, they were up for it. You could see the intensity. You know, I think they picked up two yellow cards in the second half. Daniel talked about 2-0, their time wasting, trying to run the ball into the corners. Their intensity levels 
and the physicality and the mindset, the way they approached that game was probably at Premier League levels. And Norwich, for all the reasons stated, were, were almost just trying to get minutes into legs. Get, get through and skate with no, you, your squad depth gets better and better. You get every every day that passes between the and Liverpool, the McLeans, the Pookies, the Sorensons get more and more training miles into the legs. And Liverpool, you know, we'll see what happens. We all know it's going to be incredibly difficult to get anything from that game. But but to, for me, extrapolate from that Newcastle situation and, and then predict how the rest of the Premier like, you know, I've been seeing like doomed by Christmas. Da, 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 da. I just find it all rather... Unnecessary, you know. No, no, I'm not trying to be rose tinted about it and saying that Norwich are going to uh, pull off a miracle and, and finish in the top half or whatever. But by the same token, I, don't, I think it's very premature in the current climate to predict their impending doom this early. You know, let's see once they've got all their players back and the new signings. Daniel said it. He said it after Gillingham. Prepare for a bumpy start to the season. So that's what's, what what it's going to be. That's irrespective of the opponents they've got to play in August. For all the reasons stated. For the disruptions to, to the pre-season, it's going to be a very, very challenging start to the season. And so why why be why be so willing to rush the judge and almost pen the obituaries now? As I say, I find that negativity a little bit tiresome, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. And we all know that pre-seasons can go exceptionally well. And then when you actually come to it, things fall flat. So you don't want to get too carried away to, with it and particularly with the context that we've put there. So let's not dig into that second half too much, Connor, because that was a pretty forgettable 45 minutes, wasn't it? Norwich wanted to get off the pitch. St. Maximan beat Gibson late on and very nearly made it 4-0 as well, didn't he? And yeah, the, the little niggly fouls and stuff like that. Tim Krul in particular was really in the referee's ear in the first half, wasn't he? He was not, not impressed at all. But yeah, as you say, Newcastle took it seriously and, and Speaking to Ben Gibson afterwards, he sort of admitted, well, maybe we should have been a bit more like that as well. That we that was the the sort of things that Norwich were doing well last season. They were they were being that bit more streetwise. And maybe that's missing Hanley, maybe that's missing McLean, that little bit more experience and things like that. But just to look at the first half in isolation, Connor, that there was there were some good moments in amongst it, wasn't it? And there was one having seen the highlights back now as well, a, a cracking effort from uh, Pierre Lise Malou. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the first half was relatively encouraging. As I said earlier, not perfect, but um, there, there were points where I saw them control possession. They were dictating the, the flow of the game. Um, they, had, they had relative amount of, of chances, mainly through that man and, and long shots. And there, there was kind of a disjointed element to their attacking play. But equally, they were you know Timmy Puki was on the bench. Milo Rashidzo is is at home. Todd Campwell was missing with injury. So. Uh, we can, you know, you can throw numerous other names into that mix. Uh, Josh Sargent isn't in the building. Charles isn't in the building yet. So, I think there's, there's, uh, as we've spoken about, a lot of mitigation, and it's, it's not excuses and, and anything like that. I think it's just facts. And if you take that for, first forty-five minutes, and I think the second one was largely about fitness and maybe the, the difference levels of it, it between the teams and Norwich, maybe again because of that that kind of week that they had with two games called off they're probably a week two weeks behind where Newcastle are at this moment in time and their squad is as well so taking all of that into 
kind of um, in the round, looking at in the round, and and then considering that first half performance, I thought it was I thought it was okay, uh, nothing to kind of write home about. And uh, as Paddy says, doesn't mean that they're they're going to stay up by twenty points. Doesn't mean they're going to go down by twenty points. But I, I think Daniel Farker will have extracted a lot in it. They're, they're playing a new shape, free at the back. It's, it's something they've they've not really played much of. Um, only seen them do it really in this preseason. They didn't do it in the championship. So th- there are plenty of things to kind of look at. Um, uh, it, it was, again, it was interesting because they struggled with how teams pressed them last time and Newcastle did change how they pressed and, and that did in the first half, I think, sway the, the pendulum a little bit in the, in the home team's favour, but not to to an extent where you were concerned for them. It, it was, as we spoke about, only really when they made the, those kind of that host of changes at half-time, so Maximin came on, Gale came on, that that really sort of tipped the balance of the game. And again, even players like Le Malou, for example, who I'm, I'm trying to think now, but I'm, I'm not sure he's he's played 90 minutes in pre-season yet. I think yesterday was probably the, the first time. So that goes to show where they are at the moment. A lot of those players got their first 90 minutes of pre-season in their final pre-season game. In terms of preparation, that's not ideal. And I was I was kind of thinking back to, to the press conference that Daniel Farker gave after he signed his new contract. And he said one of the elements that Norwich City will need to stay in the Premier League is luck. And so far, they, they, they haven't had any... Um, so hopefully that changes. But yeah, I, I, I think Paddy's absolutely spot on in, in terms of what he says, because I, I've seen a lot of maybe what I call scoreline analysis, people looking at the scoreline and, and maybe being a bit concerned. And look, people are right to be concerned. There, there were concerning elements of that second half performance. Yeah. But equally, there was, a, there was a lot of positives in that first half that, and a lot of encouraging signs which I think people could also hold on to as well. So I don't think it's written in stone that, you know, we're all doomed and, and there's no point anyone turning up on August the 14th. It's it's still going to be um, incredibly difficult for them to stay up. And, and I don't think you have to be a genius to work that out, but they're not they're not combined to relegation because of a pre-season defeat. Um, you mentioned some brilliant pre-seasons. In, in my head, that one in 2009 stands out where they were unbeaten and, um, and then obviously that first game of the season rolls up against Colchester and we all know what happens. So I think it can be incredibly difficult to to kind of look into things too deeply, both scorelines and performances. Um, but I think there was enough encouraging signs in that first half not to be too concerned, um, particularly given kind of the players that they've, they've got back. If we're looking at a 3-0 loss with a full squad of players, with a full sort of, un, well, smoother pre-season, should we say, then I think maybe there, there is more reasons to kind of sound the alarm. But at this stage, I, I think there's enough mitigation for people to maybe not take both the performance and the result with kind of too much merit, to be to be completely honest. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with people being concerned at this point. And, and you should always temper it by, you know, social media isn't necessarily reflective of the general support base, is it? So Twitter's where people go to moan, essentially. So it often tends to have that negative um, uh, feel to it, doesn't it? But um, just to answer your question as well, Lisa Malou did play one ninety minutes before yesterday uh, against Huddersfield because I've got them in front of me. Um, there's a piece at pinkin.com. Uh, now, which is basically breaking down the story of Norwich's pre-season. So, uh, as I said earlier, Omar Bamadeli, uh, he had the most minutes, 450. Uh, he played all of the five matches. Uh, he was ahead of Zimmerman, Dow, um, Rupp as the players to get the most minutes. Um, Adam Eder was top scorer with four goals. Dowell and Lise Malou got two. Campwell got four assists and then one apiece for Yanulis, Dow, Rupp, Hugel and Mumba. But that's that's all up there if you if you want to get uh, stuck into it. But I think an interesting element of, of this discussion, Pad, is to look at Liverpool. And 
the fact that they were able to get out to Austria somehow when basically everybody else hasn't been able to. And the fact that they've been in a bubble has almost protected them from any COVID outbreaks. And they, they seem to have been uh, going along quite nicely. Um, they've got two final friendlies, which are um, bef- they, they follow our recording of this. So on Sunday morning, as we record, they're playing Athletic Bilbao Sunday afternoon and then Osasuna on Monday night. But I think they're both at Anfield. Uh, and I think Klopp has suggested that the Osasuna game will probably be more, a younger team. Um, but they've had Van Dijk playing. They've had Gomez, Salah, Mane, all the big players. Alisson and Fabinho are back. They're looking in, in pretty good shape. So I think the context that we've been putting this all in comes down to this COVID outbreak, doesn't it? And I do feel a little bit sorry for for Farker in particular, because obviously that has limited his options. But But for the squad as a whole, because... That is kind of the world we're living in at the moment. And who knows, this Premier League season, it, that may become an issue for several clubs throughout the actual season that teams have outbreaks. And, and hopefully Norwich have got that out of the way and stuff. But that has definitely made things worse. And and beyond just this result, because they'd won the first four and things were going along pretty nicely before the Coventry and Sheffield United friendlies got uh, got postponed. But frankly, the, the team that started yesterday and the team that we're probably looking at starting against Liverpool, as things stand, isn't what most fans would have been expecting and would have been hoping for. You know, we're not seeing enough of Rashica. Grant Hanley hasn't played a minute. So I think that there is, it's fine for people to be concerned as long as you don't get too carried away with things because there is a very tough start to the season looming. Absolutely. And and that really, in a nutshell, underlines that Liverpool have had from a distance, I've not looked at it forensically, but quite a trouble-free build-up and managed to get away and get into their camps. Um, and Norwich really haven't. I mean, Daniel said after the game yesterday that uh, that the plan was they would go back to their German base. They had two Bundesliga friendlies lined up and then a third one against the Bundesliga 2 team, which, you know, really were... And that within the context of hot-housing the players away, integrating those newer players in terms of their, their teammates and, and, and the building that team spirit in, you know, in an environment which has worked for them superbly in, in seasons past. So for that not to happen, it's quite a contradictory, you know, or paradoxically looking at it that they, they decided to stay in the UK because of the COVID issues. And unfortunately, you know, they've, they've ended up having quite some substantial COVID related disruption. So Hindsight being a wonderful thing, but you know they they, they weren't were not able to uh, get out to Germany. Um, we don't we haven't looked into the ins and outs of that, but I, I did see some Klopp quotes that it was almost government level talks that Liverpool had to undertake with Austrian government officials to be a- allowed to go and do that. So I think they actually moved on to I think it was Evian as well, just over the border in France. Um, so you know they clearly had to, to get a lot of buy in from a, a lot of not just football officials, but probably government officials to put that tour together. You know, whether that comes down to, you know, Liverpool, a global icon, iconic club, European powerhouses and Norwich, a little old Norwich, I don't know. But, you know, the decision was made that they couldn't get out to Germany. And then in its place, was supposed to be a little mini training camp in York, uh, either side of friendlies against Coventry and, uh, and Sheffield United. And we know what happened. None of that took place. Uh, as I say, you know, if 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 the fans if there are fan elements who, who kind of want to dismiss that and, and not factor that in in terms of where they are now at this stage of the summer going into Liverpool then that's fine you know everybody can make their own choices but I do think it's very premature to to dismiss you know 
quite a massive disruption in terms of, you know, as Connor said there, Grant Hanley has not played one minute for Norwich in pre-season. Mia Rashika, brand new summer signing, needed to get game time into him. How many games has he played? Barely played. Timu Puki came back late from the Euros, trains for three or four days, plays against Huddersfield for a first half or so, then has to go into isolation for 10 days. These are, unfortunately, the cards that Daniel has been dealt and um, it just makes a hellishly difficult start. Well, maybe impossible. You know, if they if they can get any points out of the August now, I think it's going to be uh, very, very difficult because um, if they'd have had the most absolutely perfect pre-season, they'd gone out to Germany, they'd, in, they'd embedded in those new players, they'd got the levels of opposition, they wanted to work on things. Rounded it off yesterday, positive result, take it into Liverpool. It was still going to be, well, let's be honest, outside Norfolk, a shock to get anything from Liverpool this weekend. So that's not throwing the towel in, but it's just the reality of the situation. And I, I think it, it's unfair to, to dismiss those elements and, and then look to, you know, pick out the negative elements of why Norwich maybe aren't going to hit the ground running because, uh, you know, it's... What can Daniel Farker do? You know, what can Daniel Farker reasonably do if he's without 11 players for concerted periods of time? If he loses friendlies, if he loses training camps, what more can he do? He put out the only 10 players he had available at Newcastle. That's how it is. You know, it's not like he had 10 other players on the bench and he got it tactically wrong. We, you, you want us to get on to formations, Dave. We'll get into that. But I think he more or less said that he played the formation that would suit the 10 available players. It wasn't. It wasn't he'd been planning to play that system against Newcastle in their final preseason friendly before they kicked the ball against Kings Lynn. That was almost the only way he could go yesterday, in his opinion. So um, you know, no more to be said. We we know we know the situation, um, and it really does make what was a very difficult start, you know, almost impossible for me. If you're if you're expecting them to go and be in a position where they can probably beat the likes of Liverpool, Man City, um, Arsenal, maybe less so, uh, and Leicester, newly crowned Community Shield winners. No, I think that's that's probably just beyond them at this stage. But that's not that's not me saying anything different to what Daniel said when he said it's going to be a bumpy start. So you know, let's see how bumpy it is. But uh, yeah, I think the, the great leap forward, if there is going to be one this season, isn't going to be happening in, in August. That's for sure. You went a bit Sean Dyche at one point in there, Pad. You said before, <laughs> mate. You said before. Was it Connor? Was it Window Watch? Somebody said I sound a bit Sean Dyche. Yeah, we definitely had a comment. Uh, along that <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's from Kettering, isn't he? Which isn't a million miles away Not from A million Bob, miles, so. yeah. 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 He just yeah. dropped a couple of octaves and got a bit of a frog in the throat. I was like, hang on. <laughs> what we need to do is we need to get Ben Gibson on the phone and then I'll put on a Sean Dyche uh, impression <laughs> and see what, what the reaction is. I can imagine... It was quite funny, actually. I'm not breaking any confidences, but uh, before you interviewed him after the game yesterday, uh, he was in deep discussions with um, Jeff Hendrick, another ex-Burnley type, and I wonder what that was, you know, I wonder what the topic of conversation was there. I'd love to have been in the vicinity of those two, but it, they would seem to be having a very intense dialogue about something. So what what would be the common denominator, I wonder? Mm. Well, um, while you were talking there as well, I, it, it also came into my mind that, of course, that famous Manchester City win, the 3-2 in September 2019, that happened when they were backs against the wall, weren't they? They had yeah. was eight or nine players unavailable, vastly seen as underdogs going into kickoff that night. And it inspired them to sort of pull together and, and 
pull out a really special performance and, and result where they had to battle so hard to to hold on to the lead that they got. So so who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm I don't think I'm. I'm not really worried about any of those three games because, as you say, if they lose all three, then as long as they haven't got thumped 5-0 in each one, then it's not really going to be panic stations. But I think the two Carrow Road games, I think the atmosphere will play a big part of that. And Liverpool hopefully won't have found their rhythm. I'm still still, still a little sort of niggling feeling in the back of my head that they they might pull off a shock in that one. I don't see Leicester as being sort of an unwinnable one either, although obviously clearly a very good team. It's the Manchester City away one, which, which concerns me. We're thinking that the... League Cup second round draw will be at some point this week, aren't we? So that could well be an interesting game as well in terms of some of these players who are going to need uh, minutes and need to get up to speed. Never know, maybe even Josh Sargent and Christos Solis, if if they're in the building by that point, um, could be against a lower league opposition. But of course, we saw two years ago, they went to Crawley and absolutely uh, just failed to turn up. and, And that was kind of uh, when Patrick Roberts' uh, card got marked that night, wasn't it? And Philip Heiser didn't really impress and all, and all those sort of things. So, um, right, I think this is a good point then, as you teed it up, Pad, to uh, bring in a bit of audio from Ben Gibson. Um, I spoke to him after the game, uh, and this is what he had to say. First half, um, you guys must have been reasonably happy. Yeah, reasonably. I, I thought we, uh, I thought the structure was good. I thought we defended well as a team. Uh, had a lot of possession probably create the better of the chances without having any real clear cut ones I thought it was a fairly contested game we were probably the better side obviously come out second half and we were nowhere near at the level that we have to be at so look it's obviously friendly it's important you don't get carried away but at the same time that's a harsh reality of the Premier League and if you're 1% off it even against a team which with all due respect Newcastle they're not a Champions League team then you're going to get punished so that's what happened um I would rather it be now than next week or in a few weeks' time. Look, it's important you don't get carried away. It's a friendly. We've got lots of lads missing. We're very young out there. You can see that. But it's a, it's a real big learning curve, and that's a level you have to be at to, to compete. So, as I say, harsh reality, that's the positives. We showed first half we can compete, but it's got to be 90, 95 minutes. The isolation side of things has obviously been a real challenge for you guys. I guess today is probably when we really saw the impact of it, when they were able to... Well, they had 13 subs on the bench, so... It was always probably going to go that way in the second half to some degree, wasn't it, when they can bring on so many fresh legs? Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, that's um, it's not an excuse I want to use. That We have to be able to compete, and that's a challenge that we've got to face head-on this year. It's something we can't control. We control the best as we can get tested every day, but it was something that happened and has set us back. It might set teams back at different times, so that's that's the reality. We have to deal with it, and we have to deal with it better than what we did in the second half today. Um, albeit, yeah, that, look, it was, it was a tough challenge. A lot of young lads out there, you know, Andrew, Adam, um, Jacob came on. We, we've got a lot of players that are playing together for the first time. And today, what was a different structure? So, but look, I think we all know that we're sort of three, four, five players off maybe what our, our first eleven would be. Um, albeit, I don't pick the team, but we're missing a lot of experienced players there. And I think that showed in the second half. The, you know, little fouls, uh, being a bit streetwise, professionalism, all the things we were really good at last year we didn't implement today uh, in the second half so look, don't get too down it is a friendly but take the, take the lessons and, the, and the, the positives if you want to say that but take the lessons from it and that, that's the level we have to be at So Max man that's sort of a, a timely reminder of what you're going to face week in week out because he, he's he's probably a £100 million player if he kept his, fit, his fitness didn't he? Yeah you see him talking to Jeff Hendrick there he said if he you know, if he, if he stays fit and he, and he has his head screwed on he should be in the top team in Europe Um but that is the Premier League, and that, that's the test that we're going to enjoy, and we've got to got to take head on. So, whilst we didn't deal with it well second half, um, 
you know, that, that's something that we have to be more streetwise with and clever with. And you know, if we have to double up on him, if we have to foul him, if we have to bring him down, sort of things we've got to do, and we have to learn and, and learn quickly. So massive, massive learning curve second half and uh, stuff for us to improve on. But most importantly, we've got minutes. Um, first half we competed, and yeah, you know, we, we, we've got to take that from it. How are you doing? How, I mean, it seemed like in the summer you were quite quickly with the Instagram videos and stuff, looking like you were in good shape. Yeah, yeah, just um, yeah, trying to sh- shed a bit of positivity, if you like. <laughs> um, yeah, no, just I, I look. I've worked really hard. I've done everything I can. Um, obviously, still getting there. The ankle's still remodelling, but that's my first ninety minutes. My first proper minutes were Tuesday night. So th- this week's been a huge progression for me. Yeah. Um, there's obviously still sharpness and match fitness to come, which is huge. But I'm getting there. Yeah. Just finally, from me, obviously you had that season with Middlesbrough in the top flight, so you know exactly what to fa- what you're going to face this year, and obviously your bits and pieces with Burnley as well. So how much can you reflect on that season in particular with Borough for, for this season? Yeah, I think I can take a lot from it, um, as the, can the boys that were here and part of it two years ago. You know, you you assess things that you did well. You also assess things that you, you could have done and should have done better. And um, as a club, I, I hope. Obviously, I wasn't here, but I hope that we've we've learned from those things. Um, it looked like we had last season. I think we, the way we, obviously the frailties were at the back, um, and we addressed that obviously last year. And albeit that was a sort of a different look to us today defensively, and, and as a team, um, it was a different look to us. But I think we addressed that last year, and it's important that we we address that second half uh, performance today because that isn't acceptable. So you know whether it's a friendly or not, we are we have a level of pride, and um, yeah, we're not happy with the goals. We'll analyse it, no doubt. We'll, we'll pick the bones out of it and, and make sure we do it better next time because it's, a, it's only really a mistake if you if you don't learn from it and you repeat it. So if we nip that in the bud now, today would have been a really good test. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Right, so Connor, that second half, um, Christoph Zimmerman seemed to lose his way quite a bit, particularly for that first goal, sort of getting out muscled by, by Callum Wilson. Um, where do you think the defence sits heading into that Liverpool game? There's still a little bit of me that thinks if Grant Hanley gets a full week in training that that, that Daniel might still go for it and, and chuck him straight in. But um, we've seen some interesting ele- elements to how the defence has been evolving during pre-season, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And um, yeah, to be honest, I, I watched the game, uh, as I said, in, from the home end and it, it kind of, there were a few troubling signs for me and, and they were kind of not, We've spoken about all the mitigation, but uh, I wasn't particularly enamoured by Dimitris Yanoulis's defensive performance, which again is is a slight concern given that he, he was very good going forward in, in the championship. But in, in, you know, when we think about sort of games where Norwich were, were really and their fullbacks were really tested, I think about Ismail Assar against Watford. He of course was suspended. Um, Bournemouth as well, maybe to to a lesser extent. Um, so. It, in what I've kind of regarded as his first real test, I'm, I'm not quite sure I saw enough to maybe sort of encourage me that that, that is going to be that's going to be a solid enough area of the, of the pitch going forward. But again, one preseason game, um, he, he himself hasn't played much this preseason. Could have been a, a really good learning curve for him. So again, not reading too much into it, but just just sort of pointing out that fact. We we of course know that Norwich would like another fullback um, in terms of the centre backs. 
yeah, it's difficult. Like you say, Omar Bamadele has, has played the most. Um, I thought he was pretty good on the whole. There were a couple of kind of inexperienced where he sort of tackles where he really went sliding in and mistimed them um, when he, he probably just sort of stood his ground and, and tried to kind of reduce the space a little bit. But um, on the whole, it was fairly good. Ben Gibson, as, as we heard from that audio, is essentially playing with a swollen ankle. So... Uh, again, first off, I thought there were some really good bits. I thought there were some not so good bits, but that's that's to happen when when he's missed a lot of football. And Christoph Zimmerman as well. This is a man who's, who's not played much football this year, really, um, because of various injuries. Obviously, had that that Hanley and Gibson combination that was so fruitful in the championship that, that kind of saw his game time limited as well. And then when he did get his opportunity, he got injured, and that paved the way for Omar Bamadele to come in. Um, yeah, I think naturally there is some concerns about his his pace and. Uh, maybe his his ability on the turn, but there there are a lot of there are a lot of very good defenders who who are capable of of operating without that. And I think he would probably be better as part of a two than a three, in in, in my opinion. And I think if you, if you drop Hanley into that central position in the three, then Norwich probably have a bit more coverage sort of behind the back line where, where we did see sort of Dwight Gale and and in particular St Maximin getting. Um, and then for me, the, the major cog is that defensive midfield. That's that's the glaring one for me um, that, that really needs to be kind of resolved before the end of the window. And obviously, whether they get Ollie Skip back or whether they don't at, at this stage is, is fairly, well, it's looking unlikely, isn't it? But I think increasingly, having watched them uh, across pre-season, that, that is the position that is screaming out to me as one that they, they need an extra body in. And as much as I think Billy Gilmore is an exceptional player, and, and I think he, he, he will be a very good loan signing for Norwich City. In terms of off the ball and protecting that back four, I'm not quite sure he is fully where they need to be in terms of you look at the level of protection that Skip gave them. So as a defensive setup, I think there's there's probably, well, two elements really. I think there's probably a bit of coaching to do on that, a, a bit more coaching to do on that three at the back. At times, the, the distances between the centre-backs were too great. There were times where Gibson was trying to get them higher and they were slow to do that. So, so a really couple of small technical issues that will that could become relatively substantial in the Premier League and then probably some points where they just need some extra bodies um, which of course they're working on and as Stuart, said, as Stuart Webber said they're, they're probably going to sort of wait deeper into the window so in terms of their overall defensive setup I think they're a lot stronger than they are two years ago but I think there's still work to do both on the training pitch and in, in, in the transfer market. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see whether Daniel does go over three at the back against Liverpool. You know, we saw Sorensen on the right of it at King's Inn and things like that. Um, yeah, that that is going to be a fascinating element of it. Uh, before we come to the uh, questions we've had in, Pad, I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about Adam Eder, really. Um, he's had a, a fair crack of the whip during pre-season, hasn't he? Four goals. But... I think there were there were definitely elements yesterday reminded me a little bit of when he's played for Ireland and they tried to use him as sort of a lone target man and his his hold up play didn't really seem at the level that that it needs to be and we know he's you know got, got the instance he's got a cracking goal against Gillingham didn't he in, in midweek but in terms of sort of a being able to play that lone striker role I'm not sure we've we've seen enough really to to think that he's going to be threatening Pookie's starting position just yet. No, I wouldn't disagree, Dave. Um, you only go back to post Gillingham where he scored the two goals. I asked Daniel how pleased he was with him in terms of pre-season. Obviously, he said again, no no issue with his goal-scoring ability. He's a natural-born goal-scorer. But, you know, majority of his answer to me was, was he's not doing this really. He needs to up his game in this area. And it was those elements, back to goal, um, how he presses defenders, the options he he, he 
he offers them into the channels, the decision making of when to go into the channels. And it was, you know, it was quite clear that in Daniel's mind, that, you know, he isn't ready, nowhere near it to be your Premier League attacking spearhead. And and that was graphically illustrated. I thought at St. James's, he's too easy to play against when Norwich have the ball um, at this level, defenders, and the ball goes into him. It doesn't stick. He's not capable on a consistent basis to bring players into play. And, um, and that's the challenge for the guy. You know, Sergeant looks like he's going to be in the building soon. Um, and he's he's got a battle on if he wants to keep ahead of him in the pecking order. And at this stage, I think they'd probably be more inclined to go with a, with a sergeant if he acclimatises in a reasonably painless manner. Because, yeah, in the right settings, you could introduce Adam Eder, I think, off a bench. And uh, if they're searching for a goal, if the balls were going into the box, then he's always going to be a threat because that's his strongest suit. But he's all-round play. I mean, if you draw... Drawing a comparison with the goat, it's chalk and cheese outside of the box, you know, and and we know what an, an integral element of a Farker side that is. The work that Pookie does outside the box, almost on a par with what he can offer inside the box. So, because it knits so much of the, the midfield unit around him and that attacking final third presence. So, yeah, right now it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit harsh to say it because he, as you say, he's top the scoring charts in preseason and. Ultimately, you know, strikers are judged in goals, but I, I just think he's got much more to do outside of the area um, to really come into the conversation to could he start ahead of Pookie right now? If Pookie's fit, Pookie starts. And, and if Sargent comes as we expect him to, then I think he's got a battle on there. We expect Jordan Hugel to move on, so he'll be still part of it. But I think he's probably going to have to accept a bit part role again, certainly at the outset, um, because it, it's very hard to construct an argument when everybody's fit and available in terms of the striking options that you go with Adam Eder. So, you know, hopefully he's the type who will take that on board from Daniel and and he needs to because, you know, he really had a, a season that was very heavily disrupted last season. You know, others are now coming past him on the rails and, you know, for all his talent, he does need to kick on and uh, it's going to be difficult to try and do that in a Premier League setting. So, you know, conceivably you could see a scenario Maybe we get to January and he's had no game time. That maybe it's best for all parties he goes and gets a maybe championship loan football under his belt, because I don't think it's going to do his longer term development any good just to have another season where it's there's ten minutes at the end of that game, there's five minutes starting this cup tie. I don't think that's going to help him really. So you know he might counter that. Well, I've scored you four goals in preseason. That that's surely you know why I'm in the side. And you would say, well, yeah, but that's in a Farker setup, only part of the equation. And uh, you know what he's what he's delivered in terms of goals. I don't think he's delivering in terms of what he offers outside the box. Yeah, and we've seen Farker use him as a as a wide man quite a bit as well off the bench. Like before he uh, got his injury and stuff, he was starting to make a bit of an impact like that, wasn't it? So um, I think we're I think everybody's pretty much in agreement that Eda's got plenty of ability. It's about him uh, about him using it properly, really. And I think maybe he just needs that bit more determination. He's got the he's got the physical size to him, hasn't he? He's just got to maybe use it a bit better and become a, a bit more of a of a gnarled centre forward. You know, get those sort of traditional elements into his game because if you give him a chance, he will probably score it. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves with with Ida. Um, let's move on to a few questions we got, uh, Connor. If I come to you first with this one because I want to come just finish off on the latest transfer lines and and, and Kieran Scott as well. Uh, this is from Callum Howard, 
who says who surprised you the most and who's disappointed you the most in pre-season. Um, I, th- I think we'll leave the disappointed thing alone because up until the final 45 minutes of pre-season, the players that have played have done reasonably well, I think. We all know Christoph Zimmerman didn't do particularly well in that second half against St. Maxman, who was exceptional and kind of the panic alarm seemed to be setting off a little bit for, for Zimbo in that second half. And that, that was pretty forgettable for him. But in general, I don't think you can really label disappointed on, on the Norwich players in this preseason because they've had quite a challenging time. So, yeah, who, who's surprised you the most? Um, certainly in the early stages of preseason, I'd probably throw Barley Mumba up there. I thought some of his performances were, were excellent in the early stages of preseason. Um, obviously, we, we know in, in terms of sort of getting, getting ahead of, of Max Aarons, that's going to be very tough. But and again, it just kind of repeats every time I've seen Barley Mumba play. It, again, kind of what we what we just spoke about there with Adam Eder. There's, there's a lot still to mould and craft, but in terms of raw materials, you're looking at someone who I think could could have a pretty impressive career. And I think we we've seen that again in pre-season. Um, I suppose Le Malou is as impressed as well for for different reasons. Uh, he, he looks like he's going to bring a goal threat from midfield. When when you think about two years ago, they didn't necessarily have that. They were very reliant on on Timu Puki. So if, if he can hit a few, and, and you can imagine with, with his goal against Gilliam, and obviously that you referenced the volley earlier yesterday, there were a few sighters as well from range. You can kind of see that when he's going to score, they're probably going to be fairly magnificent. So if Norwich can can play fairly low margin games and uh, and win them with a strike from range, then then that will probably extract them a few more points. So. He has uh, has impressed me, Todd as well. Um, again, not not necessarily surprising, but um, in, in terms of performances, he, he has to be up there in in terms of kind of his creative outlet and maybe sort of um, taking on the responsibility from from Emmy Buendia from a creative sense. Obviously, now the challenge is to do that in the Premier League, and hopefully, he's fit for Liverpool. But yeah, probably probably Barley Mumba in terms of surprise. I'm trying to think if I've missed anyone, which I probably have. Um, so I don't know if, if Pad's got a different answer, but they 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 would kind of be mine to be to be honest. No, I'll, I'll, if you'd have come to me first day, I'd have said Barley Mumba, and um, and not surprising. But the way Campbell has accepted the creative responsibility post Wendia, they're the two most interesting facets. I think Lise Malou, yeah, I just I just want to see a bit more of him because uh, you know I thought yesterday he was a little bit lightweight in the middle of the park for the reasons already stated about. They do need somebody who's, who's, who's going to be a bit more combative there. That's probably not his game. Um, but I'd need to see him over a longer body of, of time, um, see if he is, as people seem to be pigeonholing him, like a Premier League Mario Rancic maybe. But if he is, then happy days. But I think then you'd need the right players around him and Gilmore for that matter. But um, yeah, no, Gilmore, uh, sorry, um, Barley Mumba, surprising. And then Todd Cantwell, uh, most pleasing, I think, because... Um, parking all the, the, the Villa sort of side of, of the summer. I think uh, he looks to be relishing the added responsibility and graphically illustrated yesterday with his absence through injury, we hasten to add rather than anything else, they do miss him because, um, you know, that second half, it was a very blunt attacking approach from Norwich and um, and somebody with his creativity and technical ability, ability to run over a striker, run beyond the striker and his goal output which he showed in the Premier League before. Um yeah, he's he's if he stays fit and he stays here, which we both hope, uh, he he could be a very, very big player for Norwich at the top end of the pitch. 
yeah, Todd was enjoying himself against Gillingham, wasn't he? There's was a bit of showboating. And there's been a bit of showboating throughout pre-season from Todd, to be honest. And and Dowell and Rupp, that didn't really work as, a, as an attacking balance just behind either. Rupp particularly, uh, in advanced areas, I don't think he's ever really impressed. It, it's more when he plays in a deeper role and he is able to push forward and sort of uses his dynamism and 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 uh, when he's got more of the pitch in front of him to, to play into. Um, the, the, other, the only other one I'd mention in terms of, of sort of maybe not a surprise, but I think Omar Bamadeli has shown a lot of good signs and and certainly at Newcastle, there were a couple of really good moments in, in amongst a few bad ones, but um, there was one way he tackled back on St Maxman excellently and if he'd have got it wrong it would have been a penalty and in a real game would have been a red card but he didn't he got the ball it was a really impressive tackle and another one where he outmuscled Callum Wilson when he was the last man and and won the header and there were a few good headers from him against Gillingham so just be interesting whether he is ahead of Zimmerman in the in the pecking order whether you know what Daniel's like he does like to make these brave calls doesn't he whether he's involved against Liverpool I don't think we'd be totally shocked we were surprised when when Campwell started at Anfield two years ago weren't we so um I wouldn't rule it out totally at this point but um we shall see um I'll come to you with this one then Pad sort of flowing on to that from James uh what starting 11 and formation do you expect Norwich to adopt for the first game and also, are Norwich pursuing a new centre-back? Now, I'm not, not expecting you to name a 1-11, to 11, but, but just basically, based on what we have seen from pre-season, where, where's your instinct lie? Because I think mine probably still goes back to, despite everything that we've seen, all these different shapes, is that Daniel will go back to 4-2-3-1. Well, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be on the, the realms that he, he retreats to a bit more, because ultimately, for all the reasons we've stated here, it's going to be, there's a lot of elements that are, you know, out of his control in these next few days um, off the back of a pre-season that he hasn't really been able to mould as he wanted. So if you're thinking as a head coach, you want to limit the amount of variables that, that are new or, or something that's a bit more left field from what they've done before, then you're going to, you, you know, you're going to seek solace in the four-two-three-one. But ultimately that will depend on, you talked about Hanley, you know, th- those type of issues uh, between now and, and next Saturday, you know, Kenny McLean, Timu Puki, um, even Sorensen, Daniel yesterday threw him into, you know, the potential context of what a Liverpool starting eleven could look like. So uh, it's just impossible really to sort of, you know, second guess what in terms of the formation. I think I, I, I just look at that 11 yesterday and think, well, how many of those um, would be starting? And you'd go, you'd go Krull, you'd go Aarons, Yanulis, Gibson, as in definites, uh, Gilmore, Leesman, Lou, and then further forward, um, well, probably probably Dow. Really, um, I, I still I still think there's a question mark against Ropper. If if McLean was fully fit, I think he'd, he'd tend to go that route. I think, given how how impressed he was in the Premier League two seasons ago, Pookie comes in for Adamida. I think Hanley will come in, and I think Zimmerman will drop out. And then it's just that if you go three, then yeah, all my Bama Daily plays. If you go two, then it's going to be Gibson and Hanley. And again, it's that kind of reducing the amount of sort of uh, variables um, for this particular game. So I genuinely couldn't, you know, at this stage, I just because he doesn't know, does he? He doesn't know what the next few days hold in terms of which players are going to declare themselves fit and available. So in that context, but if if every if everything went for him, then I. I could I could actually see him going with the three. I could see him going with Hanley, Amalbama Daly, and Gibson, your two wing backs, and then because I I, I think you you would hope that yes, it's a three, but it could it could conceivably be a five, and at least that would solidify them a little bit. But then 
it's the two in front or the one in front, you know, what that looks like, because as we did, as we've already touched on, I don't think Gilmore and Lise Malou, if, if they were in a side that came under pressure necessarily have the skills to protect in, in a, a Oli skip Alex Tete type of mold. So that's a concern. Um, but at this stage, the honest answer, we don't know. We don't know. We don't, because it, it depends on players and player availability. Um, I think it'd be premature to think a sergeant or a, certainly a Zolis could come into the contention if those deals get done. Um, I mean, in Zolis's case, he probably is probably have to isolate unless you know. I think there are there is talk rules are slightly going to change now. But if it, we're talking back end of this coming week, then that would probably on those grounds alone rule him out. Sergeant, not. But I don't think you're going to you're going to bring a lad in four days before the Premier League kicks off against Liverpool and start him. So um, yeah, it's for me. Because we've seen predominantly the three, four, if you want to call it that, two, one in this preseason, I think I think he'd probably err on that. And then it's just, as I say, the players to fit the person, the personnel to fit the, the formation. But just the four-two, it's the two, it's the two that would concern me there. Because in the two that worked so brilliantly last season for him was a combative midfielder, a holding midfielder. He doesn't really have that type of player, so. Does he does he go with that formation when he doesn't really have in that area of the pitch the the personnel to to fit the formation? So no, I think if you put you put me on the spot, Dave, I'm gonna I'm probably erring on now three four two one. I think I think he'll go that route with Hanley coming in for Zimmerman. Mm. And with Rupp injuring his ankle a little bit, that might have just pushed him back as well. But um, it's a it's probably if that did end up happening, you know, Hanley came in for Zimmerman and McLean in for Rupp, despite the fact they're not fully fit, would be perhaps seen as a little bit of a snub for those two. They're going to be having to sort of work their way back into plans and things, but it's all part of the master plan. It's just keeping Jürgen Klopp guessing, isn't it? Daniel's Daniel's designed it all this way, just <laughs> so Liverpool don't know what's going on. Uh, they can't predict. Um, a little bit of insight for the, for the listener slash viewer. Um, Producer Tony, who isn't with us today, our, our video guru, as we like to describe him, always stops us from talking about things after the game. Uh, after games because he's not don't give away the golf don't you save it for the pod save it for the pod because just like fans when we come out of Carroll Road and we get together we start chatting about the game and when you've got a long drive home from from Newcastle <laughs> to to not talk too much about the game is is quite difficult but um this conversation that we've had just while I've been listening to you both giving your answers shows exactly why we did it because <laughs> if we'd have said all this to each other in the car then <laughs> we may not have gone in, in in such different directions but um Finally, Connor, before we come, uh, well, this sort of tees up transfers, to be honest, from Darren Clark. Uh, morning, lads. Do you know if there's been any progress on transfer targets for defensive midfielder and centre-back positions? No is the answer, isn't it? Uh, well, certainly not not close. I think it, clearly attention's at the moment are getting Sargent and, and, and Zolis through the door, which would then be the attacking sort of positions done, you, you would suspect, unless, of course, they lost to Campwell. Um, obviously, we, we've kind of spoken about Hugill, but with Sargent coming in, you've kind of got the replacement before he's even even departed. So that, even that, you're covered against that. So that would be the top end of the pitch done. And then as we've kind of spoken about, it would then be about trying to solve the fullback, the central midfield and, and the centre-back if they could if they could get one that substantially improves them. Um, increasingly, that centre-back looks like it, it may well be a, the lone route, if, if, if anything at all. So... Um, no, it's, it's the short answer, but of course they've they've got a, a few more weeks, haven't they, to play with to to fill out all of those positions. They've always been linked with Brandon Williams as a, a left back, centre back has been very quiet since we had obviously the the IR stuff, um, and defensive midfield. 
we can't fully close the door on Ollie Skip, but he's been heavily involved in Spurs preseason. Obviously, they've got a wealth of really good midfielders. Harry Winks is still there. Sissoko is still there. Uh, Endon Bele is still there. Uh, Hoiberg still there, for example. So that that's a lot of players that he's going to have to come through. So yeah, who who knows? They they, they could still be a possibility where, where he returns, as unlikely as I think it is at this stage. Um, so I think they may well have to to begin to look elsewhere. They already will have would have looked elsewhere, but maybe step up their efforts in terms of that position. But yeah, at the moment, the attention seems to be on the two and, and getting those those two, uh, Sergeant and Zollis, across the line. Yeah, I, certainly in that second half yesterday at St James Park, my mind was going to, they need another defence midfielder here. This is where a Tete type comes in and can just put out a few fires. And that isn't, that isn't Gilmore from what we've seen of him so far. And I saw some people saying, we need Ollie Skip after the game. Of course you need Ollie Skip. Everybody in the whole Norwich City bubble is in agreement that if you can get Ollie Skip back, you get him back. He's very clearly, well, you're probably talking about a £20 million player if you want to look at it in, in that way. Um, but if it's not going to be Skip, I, I would like to see someone else coming in, someone with a who can add a bit of muscle to uh, to the mix. Um, one other little line I just wanted to mention, Moritz Leitner uh, did get a deal. He is going to be playing for FC Zurich in Switzerland this season. He signed a one-year contract with them um, was on trial at a club in Poland uh, the name escapes me now it wasn't one I recognised but they were runners up in, in Poland uh, last year apparently uh, they weren't impressed enough by his fitness but he's joined Zurich so just finally to to bring the pod to a close really Pad if you just sort of tie together really we talked a bit about Jollis and Sargent but there's also this Kieran Scott element to the whole recruitment issues as well he, he is confirmed as as going to Borough as their head of football we've heard Neil Warnock's comments and stuff on that this week but from what we understand he sort of impact on the recruitment ever since this sort of borough reports first came out has been marginalized a bit isn't it yeah in a nutshell yeah i mean ultimately um he, he clearly has indicated that he'd like to leave his post and go and work in recruitment in another area and we know that recruitment is such a competitive marketplace that i'm sure norwich were very keen that because ultimately said this on the window watch friday this window the window they're in now planning for that zollis being an example 12 months in it in advance they've been tracking zollis so the players they've gone for in this window and will go between now and the end of the window the groundwork gets put in months and months and months ago so so that's already done kieran scott had his full input into that no doubt about it what they'll be looking at at this stage now is the cycle of the cycle is january and into next summer um and so i'd imagine his input into those next upcoming windows would have been dramatically reduced since because this has been going on for weeks and weeks. I think they were just trying to get to a position where all parties would be happy with, um, you know, when, when this actually gets, gets confirmed and, and yesterday was the day. And um, I find it interesting that the Warnock quotes, it, it doesn't strike. Well, I didn't think before I heard from him, but I certainly don't think now that this is the Warnock wanting to go down this continental route of a, a tent, essentially somebody coming in and, maybe having more of an input into the transfer signings. Neil Warnock, I don't think, is a man for that. So this, for me, feels like a bit of a transitional moment at Burham. He's talking about, I think his contract is 12 months and he's out. So it looks like that, that when they're getting Kieran Scott in the building so that he can really then post a Neil Warnock era. They'll, they'll probably make a similar type of coaching appointment, I'm sure, to what Norwich did with Daniel. And then he will work closely with that individual. So good luck to him. Um, we've said all that needs to be said on terms of, you know, his impact working with Stuart Webber and all the other recruitment people at Norwich. Um, but in terms of what it means for Norwich, I think they put in their statement yesterday in due course, they'll, they'll map out. But 
from what we're led to believe, very relaxed about it. Uh, there'll be a few internal movements that there's one they're looking to a point externally, and that's uh, head of technical scouting, I think. But uh, they're very happy with with what a post Kieran Scott, Scott, excuse me, recruitment situation looks like at Norwich. And as I said on Friday, ultimately Kieran Scott's boss was Stuart Webber. Uh, and if Stuart Webber remains in the building, which I know is another pod entirely, but he's certainly here for the next this window and, and the January window. Um, then, then I don't think you need to be too concerned if you're a Norwich fan because uh, you know Stuart Webber is ultimately the the person who has the final say and presses the button and gets these deals over the line. So, yeah, it's as with players at Norwich, you know, the ones who do well will attract interest, and and if the time is right and and the proposals meet what those players want at that stage of their careers, then they go. And, and why would it be any different for exceptional staff? Uh, away from the football pitch because that's the model at Norwich. So um, good luck to him and uh, and then we'll see what's next for both clubs. But uh, I certainly think Norwich are better geared up at the minute uh, than, than Middlesbrough. I think Middlesbrough look like a club who are probably just going through quite a, a transitional period and, and, and trying maybe looking enviously at what Norwich have done and trying to maybe replicate some of Norwich's success and, and structures and procedures and, pro- and processes. And if that's the case, why wouldn't you try and bring one of the architects on board? And of course, we all know Kieran Scott's personal ambitions were to move into that area of sporting director slash head of football, whatever label you want to attach on it. He hasn't an opportunity right here, right now to do that with Norwich. So, you know, he, he he's looking at it as a step up in his career. So, yeah, good for him, but not necessarily a disaster for Norwich because, um, you know, if you want to re- re- remove it back down to the player analogy, you know, James Madison moves on. Um, Emmy Buendia comes in, you know, Ben Godfrey moves on. We all hope Andrew Omabala daily kicks on, you know, um, cycles, players come, players go. We're recording this at the same time as Lionel Messi is apparently uh, holding back the tears at his Barcelona exit. There's the greatest player to ever play leaving, uh, leaving that club. Barcelona will not implode. Barcelona will move on. So it's the nature of football, isn't it? And that applies equally to players as well as staff. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be plenty of scouts and whatever recruitment staff who will want to lay claim to, oh, I found Pookie, I was a part of the Buendia and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's it's Weber that pulls the trigger on those. He's the one who makes the final decision in conjunction with Daniel Farker, of course. Stuart has always stressed that he doesn't sign first-team players without them being rubber-stamped by Daniel. They they work together, but Stuart's obviously the one that brings it all to Daniel's desk for, for that conversation, isn't he? And then they decide whether they're going to go ahead or not. So as good as the recruitment staff are, that decision is made by Stuart Webber in conjunction with Daniel Farker, ultimately. Right, I think that is just about everything covered and we can start turning attentions to that Liverpool game. Next Saturday, 5.30pm, really looking forward to that. Well, we got a taste of it in the Gillingham game, didn't we, when the first On the Ball City was sung. It was pretty good, but hopefully it's going to be uh, ramped up quite a bit when it's against Liverpool on Saturday evening. I should plug as well, in the papers on Wednesday in the EDP and Evening News, there's a 32-page supplement previewing the season. Loads in there from our columnists, um, all the usual sort of stuff you'd expect at, at this time of year. Um, Josh Sargent and Christos Zollis, we will keep you up to date with everything that's going on there in the next few days. Pinkin.com, of course, is the place to go for all the latest Norwich City news and views. If you're not already subscribed to our audio feed or to the YouTube channel, then please do to make sure you don't miss any of our uh, video or audio content. My video verdict, for instance, is up there after the game yesterday we do those live as soon as we can after the final whistle usually after we've uh, interviewed the player but for now 
We also come to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. Thank you very much for listening. It's on to that big game against Liverpool on Saturday.